2: Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And to listen to tonight's full interview, you know what to do by now. Just go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. And I've heard from some of you who wonder if we are still allowing the first segment to be played for free. And that is correct. However, we only allow four shows. The first week is for subscribers only. Then the following four weeks, the first segment is allowed to everyone. So you can experience what Veritas is all about. But after the fifth week, that's when it becomes part of the archive. And you have to be a subscriber to do so. So yes, you can still listen to all our shows as long as you're listening every week. But anything that's beyond five weeks, that's archived. So do the same with Sanitas if you want to upgrade your life. The same system applies there. First week, subscribers. Then four weeks for non-members. You can experience first segment. And then it goes to the archive as well. But listen to that as well. Upgrade your life. I guarantee that you'll enjoy it. And if you want to get in touch with me, you want to be a guest on this radio program, or simply have questions, feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Click on the contact button of our website. Tonight, our guest will reveal how a secret cabal of influential, quote-unquote, Venus families with a lineage tracing back to the illusion mysteries has shaped the history of the United States since its founding. The evidence for such incredible assertions comes from American institutions such as the National Grange Order of Husbandry and from the man-made landscape of the United States where massive structures and whole cities conform to an agenda designed to elevate a feminine within religion and society. And to tell us more, tonight's special guests are Alan Butler and Janet Walter. Alan Butler is a writer, researcher, and recognized expert in ancient cosmology and astronomy, with many books to his credit, including I'm Key Revisited, Civilization One, and City of the Goddess. He has appeared on Ancient Aliens, The Mystery of History, and America Unearthed. He lives in Yorkshire, England. And Janet Walter is a writer and historical investigator married to Scott F. Walter, the host of History Channel's America Unearthed. She lives outside of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Their website is nationofthegoddess.com, which is also linked at ours. Hello, Alan and Janet, and welcome to Veritas. How are you?
0: Very good. Thanks for for having us.
2: Thank you. Great to have you both. As I was saying to you offline, you have to love technology. I have Janet in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I have Alan in Yorkshire, England, but it sounds as if we're right here next to each other. So you have to love technology, don't we?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Now, first of all, what or who are the Venus families?
1: Go ahead, Alan. Okay. Um, In my research um, prior to Janet and I working together, um, particularly when we were going back to uh, the Middle Ages and organizations called the Cistercian Order of Monks and the Knights Templar, We began to realize that there had, uh, at certain periods during history, been, as you say, um, a cabal that showed itself uh, above the landscape of history, um, which appeared to have very specific agendas. Uh, One of these agendas was to promote democracy and equality and um, also to try and uh, build the kind of world where people could Uh, say what they wanted to say where no slavery existed and in particular these people were quite dedicated to a female principle in religion now we see these people resurfacing all the time throughout history we we have named them the golden thread through the tapestry of time because they seem to surface almost anywhere but they always have the same agenda and um, they're particularly responsive to uh, the planet Venus both in a physical sense, as an astronomical object, and also to the uh, mythological associations with Venus as a goddess. And so we all got our heads together um, over here in um, in the UK and also there in the United States, and we decided to call them the Venus families. Um, we don't know what they call themselves, though, Mel.
2: If Washington, D.C. was founded by the, the Venus families and they believe in self-determination, equality, and fairness... Why does it seem that these principles are being eroded? And it seems the opposite. It seems more of a patriarchal society. And we'll discuss the obelisk later. But why is that?
1: I, I mean, think, why? Yeah, sorry, Janet. Um, I think I just... what, we, what we're facing here, Mel, is that we have this group of people, this um, continuum, the Venus families, who are trying to establish um, a certain way of being, and trying to get the world around to their way of thinking, which they've been doing for many hundreds of years. But they're up against opposition all the time. Um, if we look back to the Middle Ages, the main opposition at that time, for example, was the Catholic Church. Um, and as time went by and the church became less powerful, then uh, political opposition starts to develop. So uh, we're dealing with immensely patient individuals here who are quite willing to wait... And although, as you say, sometimes it seems as if we're going uh, one step back, we usually find ourselves going two steps forward as well. So the world is improving vastly, although it doesn't always look that way when we look at our evening news.
2: And Janet, you have something to say.
0: Well, I'd say that I think that part of the, the way that the Venus families operate is that they, they, they stay under the radar, if you will. They don't like to make big waves. What they do is have things, I hate to use the the phrase, but it, it's so apropos in this case, hidden in plain sight. I think that the Venus families are used to operating under the radar. And so they don't, typically you don't, we don't hear a lot about what's going on with them in a political sense out and about in the media. It's more under
1: the radar. There also have been, Mel, um, leading politicians who we think were closely associated with the Venus families. But generally speaking, the way that they influence things uh, is to get themselves involved amongst the movers and shakers, as Janet says, behind the scenes. So they don't make a big noise. They work slowly and steadily.
2: When we trace back the Venus family, can you go all the way back, perhaps, to, say, the Merovingians?
1: Uh, yeah. In fact, they go back much, much further than that, we think. If we look to a, a state in, um, in Europe and in Asia, going back to at least 4000 BC, we see a people who were very much more committed to um, a feminine principle within religion. Um, But it wasn't entirely feminine. It was balanced. So both the god and the goddess were very important to these people. And it seems uh, that when um, the old mystery religions that flourished, for example, in ancient Greece were suppressed by the Christian church, that these beliefs, these people, were driven underground. There's probably quite a lot of reasons for that. One of them is the arrival of farming and the fact that the earth itself was not considered to be uh, as important as man's intervention man being the operative word. Um, so they they appear and they disappear, but we're really talking about something which goes right back to the days of Stonehenge, for example.
2: Well, I didn't want to bring Stonehenge to, to the equation, but this is something that has always fascinated me when I was standing in front of him. Is there a correlation between Stonehenge and some of the things we see in Washington, D.C.?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I
2: (laughs) I didn't expect you to say that, but I was just guessing.
1: No, no, no. Absolutely. And anyone who wants to look at our website will see that uh, a lot of the ancient uh, monuments, the stone circles, including Stonehenge, um, in terms of their specific overall dimensions and shapes, are replicated on the landscape of the United States, and particularly on Washington, D.C. If we take the Pentagon, for example, it's a five-times scale Uh, of Stonehenge. There's a direct correlation and a relationship. And also the functions of the stone circles in terms of what they did in a planetary sense is also uh, to be found in Washington, D.C. Not least of all, in a little structure um, near the capital, which Janet and I have been looking at very closely uh, over the last few weeks. Uh, It's called the Summer House. It's a tiny little building, but it does exactly the same things that, for example a chambered tomb in North Wales called Brincatlydoux does. So, yes, we've got a replication of intention, of size, and of effort.
2: So if you want to add something, when I ask a question, Janet, if you'd like to add something, just jump in if you would.
0: Okay. All right. And I, I would. In this case, um, Alan also has done a lot of work on something called the Megalithic Yard, and that is definitely part of what is around Washington, D.C., and how structures relate to each other, the distances between them. And it's amazing. It's a measure that goes back 5,000 years and hasn't been seen until the late 1800s in Bath, England, which Alan can tell you more about. But we were astounded to see that this ancient measure was brought into our capital city.
2: What made you think, And this happens to a lot of people who go to Washington and perhaps they're subconsciously not even thinking about this. But there's something that doesn't feel right. And I'm not saying this in a derogatory way, but in terms of the history that has been presented to us via the history books. What made you think that the true history of the USA might be different than, you know, to to that which the world thinks, quote unquote, thinks it knows?
1: There was a a day, one beautiful summer's day, when Janet and I walked up the National Mall in Washington, D.C., looking at one structure after another, looking at the orientation of the buildings, the way Washington, D.C., for example, is most definitely an east-west city, a, a planned astronomical sort of city. And throughout the day, it became more and more aware to us exactly what you're saying, that we were standing somewhere that was truly special. And it was that that really made us want to tease the structures apart and look at them more closely. Uh, But, yes, we felt that the moment we went there, and we've felt it every time since. And um, I haven't always been able to get over there uh, on some of the occasions when Janet has, but later on Janet will tell you some of the things she's seen in Washington, D.C., which blew all our minds. Yes.
0: It sure did, and that's right. And, and as Alan mentioned, the little summer house on the Capitol grounds is something that the moment I walked into it, I knew this was something that the Venus families had to have been involved in. It just it it felt so different from the rest of the city with their with the classic buildings. This is just a little a little resting place. Is, it was what it was supposedly designed to be. But you walk into it, and it's just it has a grotto in the back of it where water is running and it has seats that are built into it with obelisks as part of the brickwork. And it's it just feels like it's part of the ground. It, and it, and really- it turns,
1: yeah, sorry. And it turns out that it's um, also a solar and Venus observatory. But like everything else, as Janet mentioned earlier, it's a thing that's hidden in plain sight. You've got to know what you're looking for.
2: Later during the interview, I have many questions before that, but I thought of the work of Robert Bouval regarding the Orion constellation and the Giza pyramids, and then all of a sudden, boom, <laughs> you discuss it too with some of the structures, and i like to discuss that later, but just wanted to plant the seed for the listeners that that's coming soon. What is the national, am I saying this right, Grange? What is the national Grange of the Patrons of Husbandry, or the Grange for short?
0: Well, that's an organization that was started by a man from Minnesota right here in uh, near Minneapolis. And his name was Oliver Hudson Kelly. And he was what was known as a book farmer in the late, well, I should say the mid-1800s. It was after the Civil War. And he was trying to teach himself how to be a good farmer and to increase production significantly over just subsistence farming. Levels. And so he was hired by the Department of Agriculture to go down into the war torn South after the Civil War and start working with farmers down there and bringing them along as well with their production because they needed to jumpstart the economy. They needed to get food into the cities in the North where the factories were going. And this order, as it turned out, Alan and I were astounded to learn because. When we heard the name we heard the word Grange, he was talking about New Grange in Ireland, a passage tomb. And I said, Grange, what is that, Alan? Because I've heard of something here in the United States, a, a farmers organization that goes back to the eighteen hundreds called the Grange. And Alan, you said to me, What does the word grange mean?
1: Well, okay. Now the Grange immediately jumped out to me as being a very significant word because I mentioned a few minutes ago, Mel, that um we find the Venus families resurfacing in um, in uh, medieval France, particularly in the region of Champagne, in the form of the Cistercian monks. Now, the Cistercian monks were a strange bunch of people. They were predominantly farmers. Unlike other um, groups of monks who lived through begging money off other people, the Cistercians bred sheep predominantly. And they did so um, in a very special way. Instead of just having land around a particular abbey, they would have other holdings at a distance from that abbey where they would run literally sometimes hundreds or thousands of sheep. And those remote places were called granges. Now, the way that the Cistercian um, order was, um, was put together was very democratic, just as an example. Um, Any abbot for any particular abbey was chosen by the other choir monks in that abbey. And that abbot, once elected, would go every year to the main abbey in Citeaux in France, and he would join together with all the other abbots and choose an abbot for the whole organisation. Now, as Janet will tell you in a moment, that's almost exactly the way that the Grange in America is organised as well.
2: I found yeah. this. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, uh, Janet. Oh,
0: yes, he's right. This this organization actually spun out of uh, replicating Freemasonry. It's not a Freemasonic order per se, but the people who organized it are in fact Freemasons, except for one woman who was also part of this organization. So, yes, the way the Grange is set up is that as you, you go from your local group to a, a larger group state level where you elect the people that you want to represent you at the national level so it is very democratic in nature but it it's much more than that as well it also is very um earth-centric mother earth goddess oriented in terms of the change of the seasons and relating all that to how you live your life and morals and it's really a fascinating organization. I found
2: um, this quote in in your book very interesting. Quote, if the opinions of some of the founding fathers of the United States had been followed to the letter, the country would never have developed into the unparalleled superpower it is today. Unquote. What changed then?
1: I, I think um, the political complexion changed. Whenever you get... Um, a, 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 a democracy of the kind that the United States originally was developing, then you will get people coming into that who want to have their own way. Um, also the the Venus families are, um, if you like, walking along a very strung out and and very difficult tightrope. Um, and and that is because on the one hand, they believe in democracy. Uh, on the, uh, the on the other hand, they also believe in uh, a form of capitalism, um, the freedom to earn one's own living. Um, but what they don't seem to believe in is um, superpowers and, and huge businesses. So uh, they're in a bit of a dichotomy. The, as I say, they walk in this very fine line. And I think inevitably when you get uh, things developing like they did digital- in